time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Gonna do my best, Big Mike Shannon. Hello there, big boy. How hey, are you, big John boy, all Hancock? As well, happy uh, Friday to you and yours, whoever yeah. they may be. Exactly. And uh, hey, boy, oh boy, did I listen yesterday? Didn't get to work uh, till late because I wound up spending the entire morning listening to Carol Daniels. Last day here on The Voice of St. Louis, 28 years of service. Yeah, what a celebration that was yesterday, and well deserved, well earned. Uh, and a retirement well-earned, and I think Carol's going to have, she's going to keep very active. She's going to be involved in the community, and uh, I reckon we will see her a time or two. I hope the that's roll the case. By. Yeah, they had uh, breakfast apparently brought in for everybody at the end of the show yesterday. I'm sure you got your invitation. Yeah, no. Me neither. Uh, I did notice that this weekend is also the Greek Festival. Yes. And so they're out, uh, you know, promoting the Greek Festival, and guess what shows up here to the office Nothing but a bunch of Greek little treats, but uh, none for Hancock and Kelly. Yeah, I mean, I'm the only Greek guy here at the station, and uh, what? And no, no baklava. There's no oh, Hancock is Greek. Kulambiades. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, the Galatabutikos. Oh, the Galatabutikos. Oh, the the uh, but the Greek festival going on at Assumption a Greek doing Orthodox accents. Church this weekend out in West County. Uh, I will be over there myself. I will enjoy some spanakopita. I will uh, probably have a dish of pastizo or maybe moussaka. Listen to the way you're talking, John. You are like the most pedestrian person I know when it comes to conversation and and languages. But then when we get into the Greek words, you act like you're, you know, Adonis himself over there. Oh, buddy, I I got my people are Greek. My kids are half Greek. Yeah. My wife is 100% Greek. Is this how you talk around the house? Does your wife laugh at you and your father, who no, your father-in-law? My father-in-law loves it. Yeah, uh, when you go, on, on Easter, I t- I, every Easter, I say, Christos inesti. Yeah. And then you respond, of course, aethos inesti. I owe what? Aethos inesti. Yeah. Do you know what any of that means? I do, buddy. I, yeah. I do. And uh, so, yeah, it's a Greek festival. So, it happens every Memorial Day at Assumption, every Labor Day weekend. At St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church on Kings Highway. So we all know the stereotypes uh, that came from the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I love The it. Greeks are, uh, you know, very family-oriented. Yes. Uh, wonderful people. Very clannish in the sense that they won't stick together. Uh, very. Pr- How is it when you're, you know, typical white guy coming into a Greek family? Did you feel like an outsider? No. I was welcomed right in uh, from day one. John Hankinopoulos. <laughs> and uh, they they took to me right away, my in-laws did. Yeah. And uh, so when they started slinging all this new food at you that I'm, I promise you, you never had in your life prior to that. Because I've been to Indian restaurants with you. I've been to Vietnamese restaurants. Oh. Kelly, all this food. Jesus, what happened to burgers? What, you know, where's the meat? Blah, blah, blah. How did you handle that when all of a sudden they're bringing you that weird cheese and stuff? You got to, you got to, well, the feta cheese is an acquired taste. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you just got to kind of live and, and broaden your horizon out there, Kelly. You, you know, if you stick to meat and potatoes all the time, you're, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to enjoy the rich diversity yeah. that is the culinary delight that we have set before us on this table of life. How about that? Boy, oh boy. Spanticopita. Spanticopita. And, uh, which is the pastry, which is the, it's got the spinach in there. It's feta cheese in there as well. Uh-huh. And uh, the layers and, of filo. And Georgianne makes a really good oh, uh, spentacopita. And my daughter now. Really? Little Mary. She that's... makes a tremendous spentacopita. And I, <clears throat> you know, don't like to talk, Michael. You can pour wine. <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, during the pandemic, yeah. I whipped up a batch of pastizzo myself from what scratch. What is pastizzo? It's like it's Greek lasagna. Okay. Uh, but it's got the bacamel sauce on top of it. <laughs> And uh, listen to him talk. I mean, it's uh, and I, you know, my father-in-law told me it was quite good. Yeah, so. well, good for you. That that had to have been a badge of honor. It hey, was. were you a Tina Turner fan? Yes, very saddened by her departure. Uh, St. Louis connection, Tina Turner. No, grew question. up here. My yeah. mom tells stories of seeing her up in, in North St. Louis at a club up there that they'd all go up and watch her and. Uh, her ex-husband at the time, Ike. Or, you know, Ike, yeah. and, and the whole bit. Uh, David Hines, David Hines was a musician in town that played with Tina Turner back in the day. He passed away in a tragic motorcycle accident years ago. Uh, but a lot of St. Louis area musicians 
performed with Tina Turner over the many years and just a remarkable career. Yeah, and when you think of music from St. Louis, you know, you've got Chuck Berry and Tina Turner at the top of that mountain, the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of St. Louis music. I guess we now put Nelly in there with them, potentially. Scott Joplin. Scott Joplin. <clears throat> I wonder if Tina Turner and Chuck Berry ever played together. It's a good question. I would be surprised if they didn't at some point. Through that. Just uh, coming up through the ranks here. We've got to step away. He's Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. When we Trusted information, live and local. From the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. Happy Friday, St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly going to ease you into your Memorial Weekend. We'll be with you all the way till 11 o'clock, almost 11 o'clock, as we'll join the show here in a little bit. John, any plans for Memorial Weekend? Well, uh, we've got a wedding to attend oh, this weekend. That's an interesting and, month uh, weekend to do it. It is, and uh, so that'll be that'll be kind of nice. And if my bride is feeling a little better, she's a little under the weather right. at the moment, uh, we'll probably do some barbecuing. Well, it's going to be perfect weather, so get out there and take advantage of it here. Uh, please don't drink and drive. There's really no reason for it in today's society. You can... Hit that button on your phone, get an Uber to take you wherever you need to be. But otherwise, enjoy Memorial Day because it's uh, one of those holidays that, uh, of course, we reflect and remember. But at the same time, we also get the start of summer and get to spend some time yeah, with family. I might, uh, I'm going to try and carve out a little time to head down to uh, Jefferson Barracks and go visit my mom and dad's uh, gravesite. That's a beautiful place, Jefferson Barracks. And uh, last time I was there, there were deer everywhere. I was there in the morning. There were deer everywhere. And uh, so you'll maybe get to see a little wildlife while you're out there as well. I got and, wildlife in the backyard. And it's getting wild in terms of running for president of the United States. Boy, can you believe that we're going to be voting here in about six, seven months yep. in states across the country for the Republican primary, it appears as though the Democratic primary is established. We know that Joe Biden is running for reelect. He is sticking with Kamala Harris as his vice president. Uh, he's sitting on the sidelines eating some popcorn as he watches his potential competitors get into the race. And that happened earlier this week as Ron DeSantis had a, a little bit of a stutter uh, with his launch of his campaign, was trying to do it with Elon Musk on Twitter. It got messed up a little technically, but I think that may have been expected. Uh, you know, I, I kind of given an excuse after a couple million people try to log into something like that. Well, it, uh, and, and but it, it wasn't the launch he had hoped for. Well, it could have been planned, of course, to be that way, to underscore the point of how many people were trying to watch it. I mean, who knows? I think the press has made a much bigger deal out of that uh, than it merited. Uh, and he's, he's launched. He's in the race. He's considered today the chief uh, opponent of Donald Trump. I'm not so sure it's going to end that way. Yeah, Tim Scott also got into the race this week uh, from uh, South Carolina. Uh, African-American, he would be uh, the, the first African-American on the Republican side to run for uh, nationwide office. Uh, well, we've had African-American candidates in primaries for president before. I'm thinking about um, um, Ben um, Carson. Yeah, Ben Carson. Okay. Uh, you know, so uh, who was the front runner for a couple of weeks at one point during that race in, sure. in 2012, I guess it was. But, um, yeah, I, I, Tim Scott, I think, is I don't see that campaign taking off uh, particularly. Uh, a guy that I think is interesting in that field for the Republicans is Vivek Ramaswamy, who's got some very innovative ideas, some of them quite controversial, but he's very thoughtful, and uh, he's got a very defined ideology that he articulates. I think DeSantis has made a mistake, though. Well, let, let, let's get into that. But before we do, I just it, it's interesting that Donald Trump only greeted uh, Ron DeSantis with his typical ball bat to the head. He's ignored Tim Scott. He's ignored Nikki Haley. Right. I think he sees Ron DeSantis as being his only competition. Do you agree? Yeah, and and uh, if you look at the polls right now, Trump is trouncing DeSantis. And, you know, DeSantis is – he was on um, a, a podcast yesterday, and he, he was asked about the January 6th folks. We had another one convicted – yesterday sentenced to 18 years one of the oath keeper leaders and he basically left the door wide open for pardoning uh many of those uh, taking exactly donald trump's position yeah and this is the january 6th defendants of course yesterday we just saw the oath keeper uh head sentenced to 18 years in prison 
Hundreds of folks have gone to jail to this point. Donald Trump in his CNN town hall said he would pardon, if not all, most of the January 6th rioters. Uh, Ron DeSantis taking that same approach, which doesn't make any sense to me, John, because I think Ron DeSantis is vulnerable on one of the core tenets right now that exists inside the Republican Party. They've always considered themselves to be the party of business. Well, I think Disney and the stock market may feel quite differently about Ron DeSantis's plans and what he's implemented down in Florida. And it seemed to me the other tenant that Republicans have always held on to is being the party of law and order. And here when Donald Trump zigged and said he would pardon these folks, that we all witnessed this crime take place on television, why would Ron DeSantis take that same position? It seems to me there's got to be enough Republicans that it could potentially peel some of those folks his way. Well, they've obviously made the determination that being opposing Donald Trump at every turn is not politically, you know, workable. And I think it's a mistake, though, on this January 6th business. Because while while the populism of Donald Trump resonates with much of the base of the Republican Party and, and Ron DeSantis is trying to tap into that same populism, you've got to find some areas of difference. And uh, so, you know, I think this field is not settled, in my opinion. And I think somebody that comes in and runs as a conservative with some populist ideas who's got a record – uh, that can demonstrate that they've accomplished something and who has the financial resources to do it has a real shot to take. None of these people right now are taking on Donald Trump, which I think is a mistake. You're going to have to go at him if you're going to beat him. And the guy that could do that maybe is Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia. He's he's personally very wealthy, successful businessman. He's been a very good governor in that state. He's led on education reform, parental uh, control over their, their children's educational uh, pursuits. And and I think if he got into the race and he says, look, the January 6th, somebody needs to get in this race and say the election wasn't stolen uh, because it wasn't. And the January 6th people are guilty and should go to jail and, and, and then stake out a conservative, strong agenda and have the resources to prove it, that candidate might have a chance to, to topple Donald Trump in the primary. Do you hear that? Do you hear that tick, tick, tick in the background? That's the clock running. We're yeah. about six months away from voting taking place in Iowa, New Hampshire, and Way across the, the South. And it seems to me that if someone wants to get in there, you have Donald Trump, who has probably the greatest name recognition of anybody who's running, Ron DeSantis, who's going to have the resources to put his name in there. Yep. You've got some folks who are have some name ID, John, but they're not going to have the money to 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 participate in this, I'm thinking Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, well, Tim Sununu. Scott's sitting on twenty two million dollars. Yeah, so but you're you're going up money. against a billion dollars worth of name ID. It's right. going to take somebody who needs to get in right now. We're kind of running out of time if you're thinking about trying to find uh, this phantom candidate. Well, I don't know. I think Youngkin has got some time. He can he can sit back a little bit and see how this thing shakes out. And I think if he sees an opening, there is a lane that nobody has occupied, and that is the – well, I guess Sununu is trying to occupy that lane, but he's not – I don't see him as a, a real credible candidate at this point. So the uh, debt ceiling has consumed most of the conversation in Washington, D.C. We have uh, known that this was coming for the better part of three or four months. Uh, the Democrats and Republicans are finally getting together. It appears as though Speaker McCarthy and Joe Biden are directly – negotiating. Yep. It sounds like some concessions are being made on both sides. Uh, that sounds good. The other thing that sounds good is it sounds like the far right and the far left are not happy that uh, that Speaker McCarthy and the president are getting along. That's right. That sounds good to me as well. Yeah. Does this foretell potential for us avoiding going off of this cliff uh, and, and being able to yeah. raise the debt ceiling? I think so. I think it's going to work on this issue. I don't think it's a formula broadly that's going to work on the host of controversial issues facing the country. But on this one, the debt ceiling has to pass. And, you know, responsible people know that it has to pass. And so it's going to pass. And both sides are going to be able to claim victory and there's going to be people on both in both camps who are unhappy, which is the nature of compromise. And the, the only real question at this point is how many votes can McCarthy bring to the table to pass whatever the agreement ends up being? I don't think he'll have 218. No. 
and and then will there be enough Democrats? Of course. Then I think there will. And sure. I, you know, and I think it, and I think the Senate's going to be a piece of cake. We've seen this before as it relates to shutting down the government, and there is the school of thought that uh, you know one side potentially could win over the other if we were to go to this brink. Well, we all know that hitting the debt ceiling it could potentially be catastrophic. But uh, and I'm not advocating this because we, the regular people out here, are the ones who would suffer. But from a Republican standpoint, and particularly the far right, it seems to me like Joe Biden has more to lose on not being able to raise the debt ceiling than the Republicans do. I mean, look, Marjorie Taylor Greene and a lot of the extremists in these caucus can say the most ridiculous things and there's no consequences. Driving off us off a financial cliff surely isn't going to hurt them. But the president of the United States, as he's running for reelection, probably couldn't tolerate this. Is this a smart strategy for the Republicans? Yeah, I think I think Biden probably does. Well, the House has passed a debt ceiling. So, I mean, you know, he, he can't say that the Republicans haven't come to the table. We came to the table and actually got got something passed through the House, which is not an insignificant feat, given the fact that he's got a four seat majority, one of which is George Santos. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think Biden would take the bigger political hit if this thing fails. But I just don't think it's going to fail. Do you believe Speaker McCarthy will be able to deliver the bulk of his caucus for uh, voting to extend the debt limit? I would expect about three-fourths or more, uh, maybe 80 percent of them. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right. And then, of course, John, we've got the typical story that the drum beats on here in St. Louis. Uh, We uh, we talked about this in Total Information Overtime with uh, Megan. You know, we are just in different worlds as it relates to Jefferson City and the city of St. Louis. The mayor taking proactive action. Uh, an executive order to protect transgender uh, care and rights here in the city of St. Louis makes sense to me. I think she's made a smart decision. At the same time, in Jefferson City, we're running the other way. Is this where we're headed on most issues now in this state? Well, uh, on the cultural issues, there there is a cavern. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, – if you listen to mainstream media, they would have you believe that the the right is pushing this cultural extreme agenda. And there are some on the right that are pushing uh, pretty extreme places. But let me tell you, the left on the cultural issues is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And, uh, and when it comes to kids, which is what this transgender issue really is all about, uh, can a 12-year-old decide to become a, the opposite gender? Do they have that right? and the power to do that. That's really what this is all about. Uh, I, just, I, I, think I, most, and I appreciate that you feel that way and think that way. I think but most do you, people do. I but do you understand people. how ridiculous that sounds then when you're all passing pieces of legislation that those same individuals be able to carry a weapon and go well, do whatever they want without any training? I, I'm, not, I'm not for them having weapons. Well, but you understand how when you sure. make that argument, it, that immediately comes to my head. Well, speaking of those guns walking around out there, Bob O'Loughlin from Hospitality Management has made some statements, and he's going to join us. Next hour on The Voice of St. Louis, Cable X. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly. Sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. And welcome back to The Hancock and Kelly Show. At 9.15, we'll visit with Bob O'Laughlin. He is the owner of Lodging Hospitality Management. He's got the Ballpark Hilton, he's got Union Station, and he had a lot to say about crime uh, and guns uh, in the downtown St. Louis area and how it's affecting our ability to attract folks. Yeah, very thoughtful uh, piece in the St. Louis Business Journal this week. Uh, Bob O'Loughlin, one of the leading citizens here in St. Louis. So I'm a Taylor Swift fan. You're not, right? Taylor Swift. Uh, No. No? Well, Taylor Swift is on a world tour. She's going to the world's uh, the, the country's biggest city. So mm-hmm. guess where she's not going? Not coming to St. Louis. No, she's not coming to St. Louis. The closest places you could see her are Kansas City, Nashville, and Chicago. Get huh. used to hearing a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, she's not coming here. But right now, she's on her three days straight uh, at Giant Stadium in New York, John Hancock. Giant Stadium? Giant Star, but MetLife Stadium, or whatever, whatever they call called. it. Yeah, and so that's a football stadium, right? And hurts sixty some thousand people. And any of you out there with a teenage girl, or maybe a teenage boy, or even an older girl, are interested in Taylor Swift? Listen to this, John. All right. Uh, ticket prices average between three hundred and five hundred dollars to see Taylor Swift. That's ridiculous. Um, some tickets are being sold on the secondary market yeah. at close to ten thousand 
dollars. Ten thousand dollars. So here's the hypothetical I'd like to. People? Here's the hypothetical I'd like to pose. To All you. right, pose let's, away. Let's imagine right. that in the young princess Mary uh, Catherine yes. is my only daughter. Your only daughter. She's uh-huh. a twelve-year-old girl, and you know the. Tells you at Christmas time, Daddy, the only thing I want to do is go see Taylor Swift. Ah, yes, I remember those days, 12-year-old Mary scampering about. And here she is, you, uh, a week before the concert, yes. land a couple of tickets. Greatest dad in the world. Right. It sounds something like I like something I would do. And two tickets maybe cost you $1,000, $500 apiece. for these tickets. You could sell them for ten grand oh, a seat. I see where this is going. What? Does John Hancock do? <clears throat> I sell the tickets. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. I, mean, uh, I didn't expect that she's, answer. She's going to get over it. Okay. She's 12 years old for the life. Hypothetical. Young Tula. going to pay for a college. Your first grandchild, who's now what, almost a year old? She is a year old, Tula. Okay, let's hypothetically say that young Tula uh-huh. was 12 years old. Oh, that, and that she would, looked at you and, Christmas and said, Papa, I'm the only thing there. I want to go do is see Taylor Swift. Tula wants to go see Taylor and Swift. And two tickets at $500 a piece landing. Happy York. to do it. And here comes. Merry Christmas. You're, gonna, you're giving her the tickets. Little Tootsie, here's your uh, Christmas present So the grandbaby is is worth sacrificing $9,500. Oh, no. I'd take the ten grand. Oh, uh, even for the grandbaby? Yeah, yeah. No, so <sighs> here, here's the thing, Michael. Okay. you get, you got to teach these kids about how the market works out there. <laughs> uh, and a little they financial lesson. Little fi- well, early in life, a financial lesson. And here's what you do in a situation like that. I've, I've given this some thought now for the last 60 seconds or so. Uh, <clears throat> I pay $1,000 for the ticket. Yeah. I give Tula the tickets. Yeah. She's 12. Uh-huh. All right, which makes me... Quite a bit older. And a hero. You're a hero yeah, because yeah. you gave her tickets to right, go see Taylor right. Swift. So, the impossible ticket. Right. That's one night. Yeah. All right. So oh, one yeah. to three hours max. Uh-huh. Okay. I now am $9,000 to the good on these tickets. Yeah. So we could take the family to Disney World for about six grand. Right. And so you say to Tula, you say, Tula, you know, this concert's... Uh, you know, it's going to be really a lot of people. And I've been thinking about this. It's uh, <clears throat> sweaty and you've got crime problems out there. Uh, <clears throat> how about we give the tickets to somebody, Tula? Oh, and Papa, Papa takes you and the whole family to Disney World oh, for four days. You gave me these, Grandpa. And now she go wants to go Taylor to Disney. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, with my incredible powers of persuasion. That I could convince her that five days at Disney World is much better than three hours of Taylor Swift. I think you're delusional. And I still come I think out, the kids going to the concert. I still come out a few grand ahead on the yeah. deal, and it's uh, and and we learn about the marketplace. She's gonna is, bat those little eyes at you, and that decision's gonna be over with. And uh, well, thinking of burning uh, issues. Yes. So the other day, I'm here in lovely downtown St. Louis. There Boy, he is. It was a bustling. Uh, it bustling was it? No, it wasn't bustling yeah. at all. I had parked in front of a meter, uh-huh. and at this meter, it's it's just a sign, so you have to go to a machine. Oh, yeah, I know those. And then you, and you throw the money into and the machine. Then, yeah. So the machine is completely covered by a tree. Uh-huh. This is on Washington Avenue. So you so couldn't anybody, find the machine. No, it was there. Oh. So I go over, because I know full well, uh-huh. one of the very few things that actually operates in this city <laughs> this is the parking are place. the people who write parking tickets for the people who aren't here. <laughs> right. uh, you know, you can park anywhere in downtown St. Louis because nobody wants to park. Right. But goodness gracious, if you don't throw that quarter in the machine, uh-huh. you're getting a ticket. Uh-huh. So the machine is covered by the tree. There I am. I'm going through the jungle. I pull it up. The machine is broken. It's a broken machine. It, you can't put any money into it, etc. cetera. Huh. Okay? I come out of a, my meeting. I, I immediately walk away thinking, well, I'm, I'm off the hook. I yeah. don't have to pay. The machine's and broken. They're not me and me nobody else on the, the street here will get a ticket yeah. because, well, there's nobody down here. Right. And uh, with that, I come out two hours later from my meeting, and what do I have there yet but a ticket? A ticket. So now I have to start the process. It's going to cost me 15 bucks. I have to start the process of appealing this ticket to the city of St. Louis. They're going to ask for proof that the machine didn't work. Right. I'm going to do that. I I know this because I've been down this road Uh before. So you take a picture of the broken machine. The broken machine covered by the bush with Uh the car, et cetera. But this is a whole process. I'm going to have to show up down there. 
and waste, uh, you know, 30 minutes of my life potentially putting more. myself in jeopardy for another ticket right. <laughs> um, while I'm down there trying to pay. And it's just frustrating, John, that we, the, the one of the very few things that seems to work well yeah. in, in the city of St. Louis is writing parking tickets they for nobody who's scam. coming here. They do have a scam. What, whatever ended up happening with that money? Um, what, what money? The parking, the, the, at one time, the treasurer's office controlled all of that money. And it there still was a... does. And, but, uh, close to 95 cents of every dollar that's taking in is used for administrative functions. So the, the parking, uh, the, uh, treasurer's office also has parking garages around the city of St. Louis. Which now, is why, ridiculous. Yeah. Why parking garages aren't privatized is beyond me, but whatever. In fact, the building I live in. Yeah. On the first five or six floors is a city-owned parking garage, and I pay a hefty fee every month to be able to park in there. Yeah. There's no security. There's no, It's dangerous. I won't allow my mom to come down by herself because there's nobody patrolling it. But it just – I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if we should put the meter maids in charge of – Almost everything in the city of St. Louis because they're the only ones who seem well, to be and, out doing and stuff. And your parking garage is the one that Elliot Davis highlighted on yeah. Channel 2, uh, our partners at Channel 2, and said that... Um, they're, they're raising the prices. They're raising the prices, promising security, but the security's not there. Right. And that's a problem. And I guarantee you if a private company had that garage, they would have it secured. Exactly. You know? And the city has no business owning parking garages. Far from the le- far from the most important problem, though, besetting this city. And when we come back, Michael, we're going to visit with Bob O'Laughlin, who uh, owns uh, Union Station. He owns the Ballpark Hilton. He owns Westport Plaza. He does it so much. He's one of the great citizens of St. Louis. He is. He had a lot to say about the problems in downtown St. Louis. We'll visit with him right after this on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference, on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, you're going to be hard pressed uh, to find somebody who's done as much for St. Louis as our next guest. Joining us on the celebrity guest line is Bob O'Laughlin. He's the chairman and CEO of Lodging Hospitality Management. He owns Union Station, the Ballpark Hilton, Westport Plaza. Uh, and he brings a lot of people to St. Louis. Mr. O'Laughlin, thanks for joining Hancock and Kelly. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Good to be with you and John. Yeah, you spoke earlier this week, and the Business Journal covered it. Uh, You've got some real concerns about what's going on in downtown St. Louis as it relates to the lack of police and the prevalence of guns. Um, And you stated plainly what a lot of us have kind of felt, which is this is prohibiting us from being able to get convention business in St. Louis. Yeah, I think we all know it. It's not just St. Louis. I think it's probably in every major city in the United States that crime is the number one issue. Uh, And you want people to feel like when they're visiting uh, our city, either residents or people from out of town, that they feel safe and they're not going to be intimidated. Uh, And uh, by, you know, young people coming down on weekends. And uh, I feel that... uh, the solution is pretty simple. Uh, if uh, you have more police downtown visibly walking a beat like they did in the old days, uh, you, people are going to feel safer and the criminals will go someplace else. And so uh, having an entertainment district, uh, my recommendation is going from the Arch uh, to Jefferson Avenue from Highway 40 to the Convention Center pretty much encompasses 80 percent of all of the entertainment. Uh, downtown. We have a community development program uh, where we hire secondary police uh, to patrol on bikes. And I think just broadening that uh, would send a message that St. Louis could be one of the safest cities in the country. And so uh, I'm recommending it. Uh, and so I'd love to see something like that move and, and get done. Bob, you, uh, in the article, it states that you spend almost $3.5 million on private security already um, to provide as a business owner. I mean, there has to be some expectation that the city, based on all those taxes and the revenue that you're bringing in, are going to be providing police. You're spending $3.5 million over and above that. Um, is this a failure of government or is this just where we're headed as a society that we're going to be leaning on you and folks like you and the Cardinals and other major businesses to be funding what seems to be a lack of focus of policing from the, the city? 
I think it's both. Uh, I think, uh, you know, people uh, in any civilized uh, country, city or state, uh, the number one deal is to be safe. And so I think, uh, you know, both the uh, government uh, and elected officials uh, have to recognize that uh, there are incidents that have happened downtown uh, that uh, when the young girl was uh, lost her legs uh, attending a volleyball tournament, uh, people were drag racing up and down uh, the streets uh, in late evenings. And I truly believe if you have police presence, uh, this is going to stop that. Uh, and also, uh, you know, the guns uh, in Kansas City, they have the law. and We are, are in the process. I think Kara Spencer is working on it uh, to restrict uh, if you don't have a permit, you can't carry an open weapon. And I don't have to tell you two that, uh, you know, you have... 14, 15, 16-year-old people with automatic rifles walking around our community, uh, this shouldn't be tolerated. Uh, so, uh, you know, somebody needs to do something. Uh, we provide uh, at Union Station, the Hilton, as all uh, the facilities downtown, secondary police, uh, that uh, we won't allow anybody 18 or under uh, to come in after five o'clock if you have gangs show up and there's 200 people in a gang. Uh, and then obviously as a private owner, we don't allow open carry. Uh, I don't think anybody would expect uh, people to carry guns into a baseball game, a soccer game or, or a hockey game. Uh, why should we have that in our downtown streets? So I feel pretty strongly about it and I'd love to see something done. Bob O'Loughlin is our guest. He's the CEO of Lodging and Hospitality Management here in St. Louis. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Uh, it seems to me that that's a pretty common sense approach uh, to, to disallowing the open carry on the streets uh, in St. Louis and, and requiring permits. That's something the legislature has done away with. Uh, would you like to see the state legislature revisit that issue? Should, should you have to be, have a permit in order to carry a concealed weapon? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the simplest way to do it. And uh, uh, I, I, I would get behind what Kara Spencer is doing. Uh, and I know she's working with a number of political people in our region uh, to get the state to pass this law. And I think that would uh, help out uh, the police to give them a tool that they don't have now. They have to stand down and, and watch young people carrying weapons through our city, which makes absolutely no sense. Bob, is one of the other key things, I mean, obviously we're lacking in the total number of policemen that uh, the city is allowed to have. Uh, they're having a hard time finding more officers to come into the city for a number of uh, reasons. One of the things that happens right now when there's a major event downtown, they bring in extra police officers. But if an event happens or some type of an incident happens on the north or south side, those police officers get diverted and then the attention's lost in downtown St. Louis. Would you like to see almost a staple, a permanent police presence in downtown that doesn't move regardless of what's happening anywhere else in the region? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can remember 40 years ago when I moved here from the West Coast, police were actually walking a beat. Uh, you could see them. They would stop in and talk to businesses, and people would feel good about it. And I certainly understand the dilemma of hiring police. Uh, I, I applaud the mayor uh, for getting Chief Tracy in. Uh, he's an excellent guy, and his first mission was uh, to deal with the unions to get the police, which haven't had a raise in three and a half years, uh, to pay the police and be competitive with the county and the municipalities, uh, because I think it's a great profession and something that we all should get behind. Uh, I'm even willing, as we do at our property, to uh, fund some police that would walk the streets of St. Louis uh, privately uh, to, to make this happen. Because uh, I think we it, it's not uh, a question if you should do it. You have to do it. Indeed you do. Uh, how are the fish doing out there at that world-famous aquarium at Union Station? Are they uh, eating, taking nourishment, swimming around? Uh, they, you know, the fish are great, uh, and uh, uh, it's a, a great uh, facility, as you know, and uh, it's been doing really well. Uh, everybody loves the wheel. Uh, 
We have family entertainment. We're going to open up a new attraction down there, uh, a selfie attraction where you can go in and take pictures where you appear to be uh, sitting in a chair uh, on a ceiling and uh, all kinds of fun things. And uh, uh, people have really loved Union Station uh, and uh, will continue to add it. Uh, The soccer stadium adjacent to it. Yeah. Uh, has helped uh, out tremendously. It's one of the most beautiful stadiums in the world, and the soccer team is sold out. And then we created the pitch uh, bar down there, which is a sports bar, uh, you know, for uh, not only soccer but uh, every other sport. And that's been doing really well. So uh, currently, we're working on Westport Plaza. We're adding, uh, you know, uh, 255 apartments. Rawlings is moving their headquarters. Uh, you'll see a gold glove on top of the gold tower here shortly. Nice. And uh, we're we're creating 360 West uh, at the top of uh, oh, the cool. gold tower. So a lot of good things are happening, yeah. and I'm excited about our region. Yeah, I've been to uh, the pitch, and if you're a soccer fan, and there's some great soccer bars around town, but if you're a soccer fan and you want to watch soccer, soccer from all over the world, I was there the other day for some of the Champions uh, League games, Bob, it's awesome. The prices were great. The uh, You could hear the sound. I had a blast of a time. We wish you the best of luck, Mr. O'Loughlin, and your continued efforts to uh, really make St. Louis one of the premier places to visit in the Midwest. And Godspeed to you and your family. And uh, folks, get down to Union Station. He's Bob O'Loughlin from Union Station, uh, the Westport Plaza, the Ballpark Hilton, one of the great, great St. Louisans. And thank we guys. thank him very much. Happy Memorial Day. When we come back, our own Fred Bottomer, the KMOX religion editor, is going to join us. We're going to talk about religion in the area and uh, in the nation. That's next on KMOX. Broadcasting from the underlying three lawyers. Get Jim.com studios. KMOX. Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself, Oliver Marmol. Sunday mornings at 10.15 on Sports on a Sunday morning. And Wednesday mornings at 9.50. The Ollie Marmol Show on Cardinals Radio, KMOX. And welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. We'll take you all the way to 10 o'clock. Then we're going to join the show for a little while. We'll come back later in the day and visit with Dave Glover. That's a whole lot. Don't forget you can see us on Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Fox 2 in St. Louis for Hancock and Kelly, the television show. Essentially everything you've been listening to, but you get to look at us. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, we're (laughs) we're sorry. And joining us in studio is the legend. He's Fred Bottomer. Hey, thank you. He's our religion editor here in uh, KMOX. Fred, you know... Legend just means old. Well, I, I, that's where I wanted to go. We lost uh, Carol Daniel yesterday in retirement. The retirement. 28 <laughs> years. She's decided to hang it up. And uh, how long have you been at The Voice of St. Louis? Uh, 41. Oh, my so gosh. I started out of college in 1982. Right. My entire life, you've been on The Voice of St. Louis. <laughs> uh, that makes me feel old. Yeah. Well, you, know, you were you were alive before eighty two, right? I understand, but but you know, but, but I'm forty seven. He's been on for forty one years. That's incredible. Yeah, oh, thank the you. longest thing thank I've you. been committed to in my life is about three years. That was high school. <laughs> Don't ask about the first year. Uh, but anyway, uh, Fred, thanks for joining us. One uh, of the reasons we asking. wanted to have you in is the uh, Archbishop Rosansky uh, has been doing a study with the Catholic Church here in the St. Louis area. For the past year and a half, this Sunday, I think it's Pentecost Sunday, Right, there is a huge announcement coming from the Catholic Church, and there's going to be some major pairing back of parishes, etc. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so here's here's the timeline of what I know is going to take place. Um, sometime late afternoon on Saturday, Archbishop Rosansky is going to make the announcement of what's going to happen in the restructuring of the parishes throughout the archdiocese. Um, At 6 o'clock Saturday night, um, they're going to put it up on the archdiocese website under the allthingsnew.archstl.org, and you can see all the the parish changes and the priest reallocations. Um, It's also going to be announced in each individual parish um, at the masses over the weekend. So, you know, each pastor will announce to his own parish what's the, ex- you know, future plan is for that parish. So this is a, a big weekend, scary weekend for a lot of Catholics. I know when I walk my neighborhood, um, I, you know, every 
person I see that, that's Catholic and knows me will come up and say, what are you hearing? What do you think is going to happen to our parish? And, you know, I just say, I, I don't know. I mean, we've got draft models of what they're thinking, but until the announcement is made this weekend, uh, we're not going to know anything official. So obviously St. Louis, one of the most Catholic uh, by percentage uh, regions in the country, but we're talking about a major pairing back of parishes, correct? Right. Now, let's just look at the size of this of the total members in the St. Louis Archdiocese, uh, about 484,000 parishioners. Wow. Uh, that's 21% of the area is Catholic. Uh, there's 178 parishes right now, and the, there's nearly 300 priests, diocesan priests, about 296. There's also religious priests that belong to orders, but not to the archdiocese. There's another couple hundred of those. And then there's always those um, deacons, right. permanent deacons, and there's about 300 of those as well. Um, when looking at the maps and the models that have been released in advance— um, but again, nothing is final. Um, they're thinking that we may end up with um, 41 standalone parishes that will have their own pastor. Wow. And uh, 137 will possibly be joined into different groups of two or more parishes and share a pastor. So from 178 parishes to 41 standalone with their own priest. And then another 137 that will be merged into different types of parishes, and some will be some will be uh, eliminated too, right? They're going to get rid of some churches. Well, I imagine there's going to be some church properties that will right. have to close. There's yeah. some some um, wording that says that um, all parishes must remain accessible to the faithful, except for there, if there's a grave cause to close a church. So they've got to keep them accessible for prayer. But they may no longer be used for a mass uh-huh. where you celebrate sacraments. They may be a, a chapel or a worship center. And others may end up having to be sold and repurposed. So what's driving this? Is is it primarily attendance uh, on the well, decline or a lack of access to people going into the ministry? Uh, I, I, it's, it's everything. Yeah. Uh, and here's how the Archdiocese says it. And, and I'm just going to read this one sentence from the report. And it's... It, Thumbs it up. It says, over the last 10 years in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, the number of priests have been declining. The number of Catholics attending masses has declined. Where Catholics live has shifted. And the availability of resources has decreased, along with the need for evangelization and social outreach has increased. So it's a whole bunch of things going on there. You know, right now, the largest Catholic parish in the St. Louis Archdiocese is St. Joseph Cottleville. They've got 18,000 parishioners, wow. three wow. full-time priests, and that's three times the size of all registered Catholics in all of North St. Louis. I grew up in St. Charles, and back when I was a kid, that was a farm field, and we used to have to give them kids so they had enough team people for their soccer player mm. team, and now... <laughs> Their schools growing. Is there going to be an impact on Catholic schools? Catholic schools, you know, educate a lot of kids, Catholic and non-Catholic in St. Louis. That could be a huge influx coming into the public schools or other schools if they're going to close schools as well. Yeah, and, and that's still to come. That's not being announced in this this round of all things new. Uh, that's going to come later. So right now they're just focusing on the parishes and what we're going to do about the parish and the priest situation. A little bit later on, they'll start telling us about schools. You know, if you step back and look globally at the Christian faith in this country, I think you're seeing a a pretty precipitous drop in attendance at church, not just in the Catholic church, but you're seeing it in the the Protestant churches as well. Um, Tim Keller, who was a a very noted pastor, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, um, who I'm very familiar with because it's my church, the uh, Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, he uh, he passed away recently, and he was, you know, bemoaning the fact that evangelicism has changed so much um, over the course of his lifetime, and the commitment to doctrine and, and faith and the belief in Christ has been, in some ways, but for many, subsumed with politics. Uh, do you think that's having any effect on, on how church attendance, because it's clearly declining. 
It, it, it is. And, and that's a good point that you raise. And that's one of the, the allures of Timothy Keller was that, you know, he was this evangelical minister with a, you know, a national flock. Um, but he was not political. Right. And he was very professorial. And he did what, what some writers say was a miracle in itself. He got a conservative Christian church going in Manhattan. Yeah. So a lot to be said there for the for the non-political nature of his mission. Yeah, no question. It's a great loss. Uh, Fred Bottomer, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. So oh, your insight is always greatly appreciated. I have and, a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot of you over the next couple of days <laughs> yeah. as the uh, uh, I as so. the archdiocese and, drops this bomb. And you know the, the one thing that the uh, Archbishop Archbishop Rosansky said when he was on Total Information AM a couple weeks ago, he says, you know, this is painful. Mm-hmm. And he said, but I'm doing this like a parent has to make you know tough decisions for the family. You know, for the good of the family, he says everyone's not going to agree with it, but I got to make you know the decisions that I think well, are right like, for the future. It's like when somebody offers you ten thousand dollars for your Taylor Swift tickets, <laughs> <laughs> you just have to make tough decisions and uh, he, not go to the concert. He is John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. Uh, you'll have to give blood to go see Taylor Swift, but you can also give blood right here in St. Louis. We'll talk about it after this on KMOX. KMOX, the 2023 Large Market Radio Station of the Year, recognized by the Missouri Broadcasters Association. KMOX, we were built for this. And welcome back. John Hancock alongside Michael Kelly. We're here for just a little bit, and then the show takes over. We're joined in studio by Joe Zedlow. He's the Regional Communications Director of the Red Cross here in St. Louis. Joe, welcome to KMOX, and you've got a blood drive, a 20th annual blood drive to tell us about. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you both. And, uh, yeah, 20th annual uh, blood drive with the St. Louis Cardinals uh, and our friends at Bally Sports as well. But, yeah, great partnership with the Cardinals uh, they're coming up on June 13th through the 15th. We'll have a Red Cross night at the ballpark on Monday the 12th where we'll have an actual blood recipient, who's somebody who's a sickle cell patient, uh, who's needed blood to help save his life. He'll be thrown out the first pitch, one of the ceremonial first pitches on the 12th. But 13th through the 15th, 21 locations. Um, we'll be going most days. Of the, you know, the drives will run from you know six or seven hours uh, over the course of the day, probably start late morning, early afternoon, and and uh, anybody who comes gets a free T-shirt. We have a special edition T-shirt that we that we designed for this 20th anniversary, and we, we do that. And then folks are also be entered to win a, a couple of Marty passes to see a game this summer. Yeah, and the Cardinals have been great partners with the Red Cross on this for many years. And uh, the blood is so needed in this region. And I know that at times, various times, the supply gets pretty dangerously low. Uh, are you finding that these drives really do encourage people to come out and give blood because it's so important and so needed? Well, two points to that. Number one, this is always a, a time of year as we get closer to the summer where we struggle. People are get ready to take vacations. This is probably the kickoff of summer, really, this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, where a lot of people are going to want to travel, start that. So people don't think about donating blood. So that's one issue there. Uh, the second point is... Because of the shirt, and if, if the team's doing well, I will tell you that. If the Blues or Cardinals are doing well, when we do these drives, and I always am like, please, give me a, get, get, let's get us on a good run here as we go into the drive, people will show up for the shirt. I, I've met people who have donated at every Cardinals drive or Blues drive, and they'll show me pictures of every T-shirt. They still have the shirt. They'll have one that's probably close to 20 years old now. Um, and, yeah, they, they want to come for that. My yeah. 20-year-old T-shirts don't make it anymore. <laughs> they don't yeah. make it, yeah. Well, most I, they don't. I yeah. know people who do come to collect them, and you've got another great design this year. Uh, anybody who comes and gives blood will be able to get one of these shirts. Uh, Joe, you've got locations all over St. Louis. It doesn't matter if you're on the east side and St. Charles and downtown. Uh, where can people find all of these locations? Yeah, best way to do that is uh, we have a blood donor app, Red Cross blood donor app, redcrossblood.org or 1-800-RED-CROSS. Reference sponsor code CARDS, C-A-R-D-S, and that will pull up all the locations. We want to make sure that give people plenty of opportunities Tuesday through Thursday. On Tuesday and Thursday, it's to be determined yet, but the, one of those locations each on Tuesday and Thursday, Fred Bird will be out there. He usually comes out and, and visits for a while and stuff. So, um, yeah, people get a chance to do it. But we want to make sure that it's we, we covered a lot. The Illinois side, uh, city side, county, various parts, portions of the county, even a little further out too, closer to, I think, Farmington. We have one out there too because a lot of Cardinal fans there. Uh, we want to make sure that people have opportunities to get it. And just to one specify one thing, you have to get go to one of these Cardinal Blood Drives to get the T-shirt. We've had people that go to a donor center 
And they'll say, "Hey, I'm, I came in for my T-shirt, and it, that doesn't apply." So you got to you have to so find go one to of the these locations. go to the American Red Red Cross uh, website right here in St. Louis. RedCrossBlood.org. Slash, um, and you can put, put in Cardinals uh, cards is the sponsor code in the upper right. But RedCrossBlood.org or that blood donor app. Joe Zidlow is our guest. He's the regional communications director for the Red Cross. We had this flyer over in Cahokia Heights. Uh, ten children are displaced uh, from their home, burned to the ground. At, talk about how the Red Cross gets involved in those kinds of. I know everybody knows about disasters. You're there, uh, hurricanes. You're there for tornadoes. But a situation like this, a, a one family uh, house, ten children displaced. What's the Red Cross's typical role in a situation like that? Well, we usually will have someone that's there. Uh, some some um, folks from our staff, our disaster relief operations staff, will, will probably be there. We also have a lot of volunteers. That's what our organization, 90% volunteers. We'll have people that will be there probably on site when there is a fire that happens. And then obviously just you know trying to talk to a family member to say, hey, if you do need assistance, we'll get that information. We want to make sure if they need Housing, that's probably the biggest thing, right? I mean, they're probably going to need a hotel stay or something. But that's what we'll do is we'll, we'll follow suit. Obviously, we want to let the fire department take care of what they're going to do, take care of that first. Uh, and that's typical in any response. Uh, flooding, tornado, disaster, fire, whatever, is always following the lead of what the local authorities do and then talking to the family and seeing how we can best help. Yeah, and a hurricane happens, a tornado happens. We all see the Red Cross stuff and we donate. So people can give at any, good, any time. Yep. This is also summer, and a lot of kids uh, have to meet service requirements to be able to yep. graduate. Uh, is there an age limit to where to, to, that people can uh, volunteer for the Red Cross? And how do I go about volunteering at the yeah, Red Cross? That's a great question. Thanks for asking that, because we do need volunteers. We always do. Um, uh, so I'll just say, first of all, redcross.org slash volunteer. And what you'll do is then that'll pull up an online form. You put your information in there. You can volunteer. I believe it's 16 is, is, is where you can start your service. Um, if you're for high school students, they want to do it. We do get some college students that, that do have to they'll have a requirement like that where they have to do some public service. That's we all had. We used to have to do that as kids. I yeah, remember that. We have did. to do something in it, whether it was working at a food pantry or right. helping out something. So that's an opportunity for them to do that. What we'll do is we'll enroll them as volunteers. And if they want to extend that to you continue to doing things, whether it's volunteering at a Cardinal Blood Drive or volunteering for an event we have like Sound the Alarm, where we work with our local fire department and they install the smoke alarm. So all that good stuff. Joe, you truly are doing the Lord's work over at the American Red Cross. We're grateful for it. Uh, just give out that website one more time. Yeah, and, so Red, and the dates. Yeah, so redcrossblood.org. Uh, and then enter sponsor code cards up in the upper right hand corner, or is it, uh, you know that'll that'll pull up all the locations. June thirteenth through the fifteenth, Tuesday through Thursday, uh, and again you'll find all the locations. Twenty one locations. We're hoping to get fifteen hundred donations. You get the special edition twentieth anniversary T shirt and a chance to win two tickets to a Cardinals game. Joe Zidlow from the Red Cross. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And folks, get out there and give blood. It is badly needed. Well, Michael, that puts a ribbon and a bow on today's program. Yep, we're almost done. We'll stick around and visit with the show. And hey, buddy, I know the Cardinals are in Cleveland for the next couple of days, but uh, our cross-state rival shows up here on Memorial Day. Yeah, they're no good. Uh, this will be uh, it should be two games in the bank for us. Uh, we ought to do well in Cleveland, too. That's, I'll tell you what, by the time the Cardinals go... Uh, to England, we might be at the 500 mark, and we might be very close to first place in this division. Who would have believed it? Folks, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank our great James O'Sullivan doing his magic behind the board here. Uh, Frank Ladd, our producer, good as always. The show is next after the news on America's favorite radio station, the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.